Well, hey, before you guys exit the stage, I did want, in case you haven't heard the fun news, uh, Brad and Bree are just now finishing up uh, their Bible education at Moody. And as of June 1st, they'll be here in our church family as a part of our staff team. Uh, a few months ago, we talked about how we wanted to make a much heavier investment as a church into the next generation and really pursue the, the youth and children in our region, uh, just knowing that there's so much potential there and, uh, and that one person said the next generation belongs to whoever wants them the most. And, uh, and so, of course, we as people who honor the Lord and we, we want that next generation to be uh, to be here and to be a part of the things that God is doing. And so we're really excited to add both of you to our staff team as youth directors. And uh, we have a lot of fun things ahead. I'm sure you'll hear from Brad and Beery as we will get a little closer in or maybe right after June when you start. We'll probably have you up here and do a little interview and talk about your vision and youth ministry and all that. But uh, if you get a chance to welcome them, I know they just bought a house, so they're, they're kind of busy getting things ready and, uh, and also trying to finish up school. Is that going okay? Like school? Okay. Like we didn't wait. We've, maybe we should wait and make sure, you know, your grade's okay at the very end before we have, you know. Okay. All right. So, um, so you could pray for them, and uh, we're looking forward to having them join the team shortly. All right. So thanks so much. All right, I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Chup to come up at this time. Uh, some of you know him. Uh, he's been one uh, missionary that our church has supported for some number of years, uh, probably long predating me being here. 95. Okay, all right, wow, so 1995. So we wanted to get to know you a little bit. You'll be preaching in a little while, um, and so we're looking forward to that. And your title for your message is, Do You Smell Good? Mm -hmm. So You do this morning, by the well, way. Well, you know, we'll <laughs> so just you know, do a little sniff and make, make sure you're <laughs> sniff okay. Test, here, sniff test. We're going to be challenged on that. No, the, there's, a, there's a metaphor there. Um, so in our Go segment today, we want to find out how you, um, first of all, kind of what your backstory is a little bit and how you ended up taking steps with your life to be a Great Commission Christian? Like, what was it that motivated you? Uh, where did you start? So maybe you could start all the way at the beginning in your childhood. I know you came to Christ around age seven. Yes. And, uh, and then felt some calling to ministry as a teenager. So maybe you could pick up the story there and tell us a little bit about how God worked in your life. Well, thanks, Dan. So my life is a testimony to what I have seen happen in this church in many young people, including the two standing right here is that God got a hold of me in, in a multiple different summer-focused uh, camps. S saved at age seven, a summer camp. God got a hold of me. Middle school, a le Christian leadership training camp for boys from ages 12 to 14. My dad got in the old Chevy Impala and drove me three summers in a row to be in this camp. And it was there, mixed with some other boys who had real tender hearts for God, that um, I felt a real yearning to be sold out. And uh, went to the camp director and said, I want to be your Timothy. And how can I do that? And at that time, I really thought that full-time ministry was going to be a pastor, youth pastor, pastor like, like a teaching pastor like you are. But then I got into high school, and I love science, and I love math. And I was just, you know, just kicking it. It was so easy for me. And I thought, how does this jive with a, being a youth pastor that I'm, you know, 4-0, great, da, da, da. You know, school was great. And, uh, and then with the influence of a pastor's son in my life, who was an amazing uh, role model for me, uh, eight years ahead, God had called him to be a medical missionary. And that, uh, I wanted to follow in his footsteps because he was my hero. And so that, that was the influence in my life, that God used examples, role models, and my giftedness um, to put together that I should do this. And then all these years later, 
it's it's interesting how I've come full circle. Yeah. So um, so your kind of your decision your story there with wishing you could be a part of science and math, feeling like there wasn't a road for ministry. When you heard the sort of the pitch for what it meant to be a medical missionary, what was involved in that? Um, so I, a little bit of what still is pervasive in the church today, this sacred and secular. Mm-hmm. And so even to this day, a lot of people think that the only way to involve the sacred in, in medicine is to become a missionary. And I know that your emphasis and your, your, at the church has been, no, it, it's not, there isn't this divide that the secular should be our sacred. And so it was, I think, coming to understanding that medicine, the other six days of the week, that I could integrate faith into patient care. And then it was, it was an aha moment. I, I can do medicine. And, yeah, I'm going to do medical missions. But I think over the years I've come to see that a lot, this disconnect, that I'm going to talk about my message, this disconnect that, you know, uh, ministry in healthcare or any other is somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. And it's not in our backyard. And, and yet seven days a week in medicine we can be the hands and feet of Christ. Yeah, even the word ministry, if you think of it, like what better use of that word but to say you're, you're serving the direct needs of, of a person. And so whether that's spiritual, emotional, or physical, it's still ministry. And, uh, and so that's, that's neat. So, so tell us about, like, how, how did you go from there then? You had that seed planted in your heart. Uh, where did you go to school? Where did you end up on the field? So I, I went to Taylor University for my undergrad, um, and it was at Taylor that I had my first chance to see Africa. And uh, it, it was the, really the influence. If I have to just boil it down to one influence, it was a faithful, dedicated missionary nurse serving all by herself in the bush, the ultimate bush of Sierra Leone. Um, and so Ron and I uh, talk about the past a little bit with Chuck Pearson. I met Chuck Pearson during that visit too. But it was there watching her faithfulness and how in, she had endeared herself day in and day out in rural Sierra Leone. Incredible impact because of her long-term love and faithfulness of a group of people. And one evening on my knees at the bedside in this remote mission station, weeping before the Lord. Lord, if you would give me this opportunity to serve the way that Jerry is serving these people. If you get me into medical school, this is what, I'm, this is what I want to do. If you'll allow me the privilege. Wow. Um, so how many years f- forward then? When, when did you actually kind of land in Africa then? So medical, medical school, I found, I found Timbuk Hospital in 1988. Residency, um, Pam, we just got married. We went back to, to Kenya and Timbuk Hospital, and both of us felt drawn uh, together. So it was in 96 that we went as career missionaries to Timbuk Hospital, and the church picked up support as we were going. So it's been a long ride, 23 years together. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that time. You know, it's, it's hard for probably most of us in the room to, like, feel the, you know, the sense or smell the smells. Or, or like, what, what, what's it like to be in a field hospital in Kenya? And uh, what were some of the things you experienced or look back on fondly? I, I call it a five-ring circus, Dan. Um, I mean, every day walking up the hill, I mean, what three or four major things, life-threatening things are going to break that we're going to have to fix today? And, you know, is it, is it the inability to, to type and cross for blood? Is it going to be the hydroelectric plant going down so that we're hand-bagging hand patients on a ventilator? Uh, every day it was like that. And so you just, um, you just had to walk up the hill and say, God, it's going to be in your hands. And so fighting fires, but also the blessedness of every day having people just 
with overwhelming gratitude that their lives have been touched and saved. And they would bypass government hospitals, private hospitals. They would go past four or five hospitals to come to our hospital because they heard that the hands were kind. Wow. Do you have any, um, I don't know if you ever ran the numbers on like how many patients you would have seen or how many surgeries you did in those years? I, you know, I can, I can only just take a guess, but it, it was a thousand surgeries a year, uh, maybe for, for 20 years and patients. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it, sure. was, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. One thing you mentioned to me before was one and, and we'll get to this a little later in your message that like the role God has you in now and stepping into a leadership role that'll give you just a really wide platform and some exciting opportunities to mobilize even more people into this kind of work. Uh, but you said one thing you kind of miss about the, that past era is the the patient interactions and the bedside conversation. Um, the uh, so I, I suppose in those moments, because you were a medical missionary, there there was no limiter like can you share the gospel or not with people. You're probably able to be fairly free with why you're doing this and what's motivating well, you'll, you. You'll see a picture in a minute. I mean, on the water tower, little words we treat big Jesus heals. I mean, and, and everywhere. So anyone coming knows, it. even even Muslim patients, because no, everyone came. Mm-hmm. Even Muslim patients, it really opened the door when it's on your water tower at the entrance, Jesus heals. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it almost put the onus upon us. It, it was like an expectation. So that was helpful on days you didn't feel like it. When you had too much going on to do spiritual ministry, you know these patients were expecting it. Yeah, right. Um, if you were... If you were and maybe some some of this you'll probably cover in the message coming up, so you don't have to you don't have to give away all that. Spoiler yet. alert! Yeah, but uh, but if if there was somebody who was saying I, I'd love to think more intentionally about my own future and jumping into missions or whatever, if they're kind of at the very, very beginning of the story, like back when you were as a teen just thinking about it, what are some of the things they should be thinking about, cultivating in their heart and life now to kind of get ready for their next step that God might have for them? Well, really good question, Dan. I think what's really critical is to have uh, to develop a, a mindset that today I can be Christ's ambassador. I, I think there is no, it's just out there, but today I can be Christ's ambassador. Second, um, go, if missions is where God is putting an interest, I, I would say go on some sort of experience like I did this Sierra Leone. And see what God is doing, and it just—it's a—it's often a mind-blowing experience. It doesn't always lead to the to a call to a career, but it often leads to an expanded, exploded prayer life for the world. So, I, and I know a lot of missions. There's a lot of stuff happening here. I know a number of people here are, are, are involved in China and, and going to other places around Europe. Um, but get involved, and if it's healthcare-related, whether you're a nurse or a PA or any sort of healthcare-related, or you're married to someone in healthcare. Um, get involved in a, in a short-term experience and see, Dan, what, what God is doing on the ground. Yeah, and, and just as an aside, one thing that um, Dr. Chupp here does have at his disposal is a lot of, a lot of connections and information about some short-term experiences. If, if God sort of tugs your heart or you're interested in saying, I would like that expanded view of the world at minimum or maybe to see if it leads to a calling, uh, after service, he would be a great guy to talk to and uh, get some get some maybe some next steps in mind about where that could go. Um, well, I wonder if uh, we could pray. I just want to pray for you um, and you. Uh, the message you'll be bringing in a few minutes, and uh, and then we'll we'll continue on. Thank All you, right? Dan. Yeah, Lord, thank you so much that uh, Dr. Chubb could be with us today. We pray for him and his family as they continue to minister for you, and as we'll hear about in a little while here. 
um, now not in Africa, but um, in, a, in a more global role. And I pray that you would give, uh, give him grace in, in that new work that he's being called into, and that uh, along the way, Lord, you would uh, indeed use him to multiply the, the, the many good things that he was able to do on the field to call a lot of other people uh, to that same kind of work and to those same important things. Um, Lord, thank you for giving each one of us a purpose in life and a calling, and even for building us with certain gifts and abilities that we may not fully realize why we have them until later on in life. Uh, but just like you gave uh, Dr. Chup here science and math, uh, came easily to him early on, and then that call to ministry coincided with it and all kind of added up to where he is. Uh, Lord, every one of us has a gift, an ability, uh, something you've given us, some skill, uh, some interest that we could leverage for your work, uh, whether it's as a career path in missions or whether it's in our career path that we're already in here locally. Um, so Lord, give us your uh, guidance, your wisdom. And as we continue on in the service, I also pray just for your, um, for your illumination, Lord, to our hearts that uh, what's read in the Bible, what we sing in a little while here, uh, would not just be words uh, to us, would not just be sort of duty, but it would actually be you speaking to us and mm -hmm. that we would, in, we would in turn be able to speak to you. Uh, so we look forward to all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, thank you. So before the team sings, um, just wanted to offer a little bit of an opportunity for um, those of you who might be in medical work yourself. Um, I don't know, it, and we could define this pretty widely. So a doctor, a nurse, a, uh, someone who works at a medical office or a dental office or, you know, kind of any, any aspect of the whole healthcare industry. Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot or ask you to do anything or say anything, but I would ask, uh, if you're willing, just to stand right where you are, if that's you. If you are serving healthcare, we just want to pray for you as a church family. And uh, amen, that's great. Good deal. Quite a few out there. Um, so just if, you, if you're able, just to remain standing for a moment. Um, one thing that Dr. Mike here alluded to is that the ministry doesn't have to happen overseas. It doesn't have to be that you're called to be a missionary doctor. Um, just in the work that you're doing, you are serving people. Um, you are serving, um, you're serving the Lord in serving people. And so we just want to affirm you in that, uh, in your call, even... Um, even today, if maybe you came through a uh, rough week uh, at the office or you have different pressures in your life, uh, just want you to know that we value what you do and, uh, and we wanted to take a couple minutes to pray for you. And so uh, those of you who might be around the people who are standing, um, not everyone has to do this, but if you feel led to just to kind of stand up and go close to that person, um, put a hand on their shoulder or whatever, we just want to pray. Uh, for them and kind of commission them into their continued work for the gospel uh, through medicine. And so uh, you can go ahead and do that now and we'll, we'll all pray together uh, as a church family. Lord, we are very honored that among our church family, there are quite a few people who serve in medical professions, who did the hard work necessary, uh, who did the training that was necessary to get to where they are, and many of whom have taken probably personal risks to uh, be engaged in that kind of uh, that kind of work, Lord. For for that, we thank you, and we pray that you would give each one of these individuals who's standing here today fresh empowerment from your Holy Spirit, uh, fresh joy in the work that you called them to, 
and, and maybe a fresh perspective as well, uh, that every moment of their life matters and every patient that they see or every, every detail that they handle at their office uh, all adds up to something that really matters to the people, of course, who are being served. But even more, Lord, as all of us turn our careers toward you and want to serve you with every moment of our lives, um, I just pray that you would bring that into the hearts and minds uh, of each one of our medical personnel here and that, um, Lord, in the, in the weeks and months to come, that they would feel a, a very strong sense of mission in the work that they do wherever in the world you might call them to do it. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. So we had a trial run, Jeff and I did in the first service, and worked through a PowerPoint. We were like on our first date in the first service. Um, we worked through that. Now we, now we know each other a little bit better. Well, thank you, Pastor Dan, for inviting me here this morning. Um, my Kenyan brothers and sisters, over the course of about 20 years, I heard it over and over again. Oh, Dr. Chuck, you come from the land of milk and honey. The America, the land of milk and honey. And yesterday, I got a little milk and honey. Um, you know, I was texting back and forth with Ron, who uh, was my wonderful host, and picked me up at the airport. And I landed in Atlanta, got to the gate early. I didn't have a seat assignment, so I got to the gate and immediately heard the announcement. You know, we're overbooked for this flight. If, if any of you are flexible, we'll make it worth your while. I have never heard that in Nairobi, ever, uh, or any African airport. Have you, Ron, that they're, that they're uh, willing to? So anyway, they said, we'll give a $300 gift card, one of 10 gift cards of your choice. If you're willing to just wait three hours for the next flight. And so I confirmed what the time was. And I said, sign me up. And he said, oh, sir, don't worry. We need three people. So whatever we offer to the last person, you're going to get the same thing. So I sat there. And this is great. I got email to do, work to be done. So I'm sitting there. And every five minutes, um, we still need another two volunteers. And uh, uh, we'd like to offer a $400 gift card. And... Five minutes later, it went to 500, and then 600, 700, 800. I'm texting my wife the whole time. She said, honey, hang in there. What? <laughs> Finally, I ended up with a $900 gift card. <laughs> so this is not Africa. I'm not in Africa anymore. So they said, now, the gate agent said, it's not uncommon, um, Mr. Chop." That, you know, you've got another flight, and it's probably overbooked, too. So if you want to do it again, it might come up. <laughs> and sure enough, ladies and gentlemen, we are overbooked. Um, but I didn't go for it. It went up to $600. I didn't go for it because I, I had a good brother who was going to pick me up at the airport. So anyway, thank you for inviting me. It was a great experience yesterday. <laughs> My wife has already sent me two or three things on um, Amazon that she wants me to buy with the money. <laughs> She sends her greetings to all of you this morning. She's working on Monday, and I'm not going back until tomorrow. And so she was unable. My brother's getting married next weekend, so we have to take off next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So she sends her apologies that she couldn't be here. I, I do very grateful. I've been waiting for two and a half years for the opportunity since we moved back from Kenya to come and share with our brothers and sisters at Varian Center Bible. Um, can we have our first slide, or we're, we're working on that? <laughs> Second date. <laughs> so Pam and I left. You launched us in 1996, and uh, you'll see here in a second, I hope, uh, what we looked like when you launched us in 96 as your missionaries to Kenya, to Timbuk Hospital. And over the course of uh, a few years, 
uh, we changed in appearance and in numbers, and we had two African-American children born uh, in, uh, for us. And uh, so Stephen and Melody and Kayla and Ashley are all doing well. They miss their homeland of Kenya, uh, but have adjusted. Melody is graduating uh, with a degree in exercise science and hopes to go become a physical therapist uh, after this next year. Uh, and then Kayla has just been accepted to nursing school at, uh, at uh, Eastern Tennessee State University. And our youngest daughter, Ashley, um, is going to be a senior in high school uh, this next year. Not quite sure what she wants to do with her life. Um, and as soon as we get my PowerPoint up here, one of these times, we'll get to see my son. Uh, we've had a lot, uh, first quarter of 2019 with a lot of big news. And my son, for about eight years from the time he was 17, has wanted to be a part of the U.S. Um, Air, uh, military, U.S. Armed Forces. And he got his dream uh, true about 16 months ago and said, Dad and Mom, I know it's going to scare you to death, but I would love to be in the Special Forces. And in fact, I want to be an Army Ranger. And so just a month ago today, um, he was one of only 70 out of 400 who went straight through and completed Ranger School. And uh, he'll be deployed this summer uh, to some hot spot. So this dad is going to spend even more time on my knees uh, praying for my firstborn. Well, when last behind this pulpit, I can see that the PowerPoint was not intended um, <clears throat> to happen this morning, but that's okay. Um, when last behind this pulpit four years ago, we were full of joy and gratitude, uh, talking about the amazing things that God was doing. Hey, there we go. There's, that's looking familiar. So... There we go. So that's what we looked like in 96, and there's what we look like now. Pam, my wife of 28 years, and it's been 22 years since you sent us out. Why don't we move on to the other slide, and there's Stephen in the middle there after becoming a ranger, and my little bitmoji, Mike Chup bitmoji, saying thank you to Berrien Center Bible Church. We'll move on to the next, the next slide. So a, a great place, Timok Hospital, where the motto, We Treat Jesus Heals, uh, has been true uh, for almost 90 years. It's become a 350-bed referral hospital where God continues to show himself both healer and redeemer. Where a mother, like this in this picture, a mother named Teresia, whose little three-year-old girl, um, Salomina, was born with a cleft lip and palate and was an outcast. She was a third wife in this Samburu tribe, outcast because of a deformed child. And a missionary in her village a Kenyan from Tenwick Hospital, whom we sent out as a missionary from Tenwick, introduced her to Christ, took her into his home with his wife, uh, and loved on her, and she decided to trust Christ because of this demonstration of compassion from this missionary. And then the, mis- the chaplain, former chaplain, referred uh, Teresia with her child to Tenwick Hospital, where my successor, Dr. Mike Ganey, repaired her cleft lip. And uh, was able to go back and celebrate with the tribe back in Samburu that God had done an amazing thing. A great, powerful testimony to God's goodness in her life. So Timmick's also a place, uh, go back one slide, also a place where we've seen training um, become such an incredible outreach. These East African residents in surgery, orthopedics, and family medicine are pictured here just from January. At the sixth graduation of surgery residents Uh, since 2012. And then finally, because Bible quizzing is near and dear to a few of you in this congregation, uh, we we were part of starting a program about 10 years ago with just a handful of children, grades four to eight. It's now grown to nearly 500 children uh, studying God's word, hiding God's word in their hearts. They're excited. Kenyan kids are amazing at memorizing. And we do this with an Olympic theme, gold, silver, and bronze medals. And we're grateful for the couple that took over this ministry after we left.
Well, the next slide. Some of you are aware that in July of 2016, God opened the door and walked uh, with us onto the executive leadership team shown here of the largest Christian healthcare organization in the world called the Christian Medical and Dental Associations here in the United States. And last September, the board of trustees decided that I would be God's man to replace my boss and hero, Dr. David Stevens. And in September, I'll become the next chief executive officer of CMDA. Well, why did we leave a growing ministry in rural Kenya to join a U.S.-based Christian healthcare organization? And I could say to you this morning, as part of that is the transformational ministries among 15,000 students in over 300 campuses each week. One of those is pictured right here. I was with a group of students last month in Abingdon, a group of third-year medical students who have banded together. They meet twice a week to study God's Word as they're being trained in becoming doctors. And my own experience, much like these med students at Indiana University, when I was a freshman in medical school with CMDS, as it was called at that time, was very formative. And my faculty campus advisor, Dr. Charlie Kelly, went through his little Rolodex and said, Mike, there's this Timwick Hospital. I think if you'd go during your senior year, it would be a great experience for you. And that opened the door and introduced me to what it was like to be a missionary surgeon in Kenya through Dr. Charles Kelly. I could say that we were drawn to CMDA because medical missions is woven throughout the history of and throughout the DNA of CMDA. Since 1931, when CMDA started with a group of med students in Chicago, many, many missionaries. We currently have over 1,000 medical missionaries who are members scattered around the world. And missions is at the heart at what drives this organization. And so that drew me as well. I could also say that I was drawn to the fact that CMDA has become the voice of Christian healthcare professionals in America. We actually train healthcare professionals at a, at a, a Voice of Christian Doctors media training uh, twice a year. That training is coming up in May uh, to how to help prepare and equip Christians to get in front of television and on radio to address bioethical issues and represent a Christian worldview. But I have to tell you, brothers and sisters at Berrien Center. The the main reason that Pam and I and our kids felt that we would return home after a 20-year career in Kenya, because God made it crystal clear to us that he had prepared for us in advance and equipped us for leadership of a 19,000-member organization with a mission statement that we motivate, educate, and equip Christian healthcare professionals to glorify God. And our vision becomes a reality when transformed healthcare professionals are involved in transforming the world around them. I'd just like to pray before I jump into into the scripture in my message this morning. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus, your son's name, I pray. Amen. I shared with Pastor Dan that evangelism and discipleship out there in the public square has become of greater importance to me than ever before. Every day I'm thinking about how we can prepare and encourage Christians in healthcare to actively integrate their faith into their practices. And as I prepared to share with you today, I remembered an experience that I had right before I started medical school in Indianapolis. I got a job. I landed a job in a genetics lab with Dr. Emmy Hodes, who was studying the disease Huntington's chorea. And we were actually doing some of the very first sequencing of DNA, 
trying to figure out which strand of DNA Huntington's disease was associated with as a genetic disease. And in my second week there, this African-American lab tech came up to me and said, hey, Mike, I, I was just wondering, I hope you don't mind me asking, are you a Christian? And I said, you know, Mary, um, I am. Uh, why do you ask? She said, because you smell like a Christian. So I said, Mary, is that a good smell or is that a bad smell to you? She said, oh, it's a good smell. I love Jesus too. And we had a great summer together. Those two Christians, an African-American lab tech and me, uh, sharing with one another about our faith. Smell, a, a sense of smell is a big deal in the Chup family. Uh, you know, it's, it's not just for, uh, just for appearances. These schnozzes in the Chup family, they work really well. And my father has such a keen sense of smell that anything strong can't be in the house. So my mother's never been able to have scented candles or anything like real Christmas trees and stuff like that. We've not been able to do that over the years. And my daughter Kayla is just like her grandpa. And so I've got it on both sides. I've got a keen sense of smell, which made it really challenging on, on the rounds at Timbuk Hospital sometimes. The various smells that were not so great on rounds. And so the residents called it the Chup Sniff Test. And so on rounds... You come across a foot in a cast like this one, lean over, little sniff, that cast is coming off. There's an infection inside there. And so they would sometimes call me in to do the sniff test from, from wherever I was. <laughs> I think that the Apostle Paul had a very keen sense of smell. And he enjoyed a really good fragrance. He told the Philippians in the fourth chapter of that letter that the gift they had given him through Epaphroditus was a sweet smelling sacrifice that is pleasing to God. In our text of the morning, if you want to turn there, go ahead. I've also got it on the slide. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 17. Go back one slide. This is really important. I Sorry, I, I skipped over that. So go back just a, a one more slide. So how many Pams here this morning? Any Pams that are in the second service here this morning? Okay. Most Pams don't know what the meaning of your name is. So Pamela, as the Kenyans called my wife, means sweet fragrance, sweet fragrance. And so God gave me a gift of a sweet fragrance for the last 28 plus years. And then the next, uh, next slide. So I'm going to ask my question for you this morning is, do you smell good? Do you take faith and grace with you to work or school or wherever you go? into the public square. Do you take it with you or have you siloed your life such that it's one day a week when it's all about faith and the other six days not? So in our passage of scripture for the day, 2 Corinthians 2 verses 14 to 17, Paul said to the Corinthians, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God, the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing and those who are being saved. To the one were the putrid smell of death, but to the other, the fragrance of life. And brothers and sisters at Berrien Center Bible, who of you is equal to such a task? I'd only been back from Kenya about four months in 2016, when I was in Louisville at this big medical missions conference that's called the Global Health Missions Conference. 3,000 students, residents, every healthcare specialty, and I was at the CMDA booth, the exhibit, when up came walking, I'm going to call him Surgeon A, no names, Dr. A. I had recognized him. He had served in West Africa as a missionary surgeon for a number of years. 
and I'd heard he had left. I wasn't sure why. And he, Dr. A came, come up, came up and greeted me. I gave him a big hug, and I said, Dr. A, what's happened? I, I heard you left Africa. He said, yeah, Mike, I just, we, my wife and I felt we should come home. And I'm in South, Southern California at a veterans hospital doing surgery and teaching. I said, well, how's that going? It must be quite different. Oh, Mike, it's really challenging. I mean, I could share my faith whenever I wanted to in Africa, but in that VA hospital, they really persecute me. They don't let me pray with patients, and uh, they don't like it that I have a Bible. I'm always getting negative comments, and they only say the chaplains can have a cross, a red cross. So I bought myself the biggest cross I could find, and I put it on a necklace, and I carry it with, I wear it over my white coat. And one day, I walked in the elevator, and the administrator of this VA hospital was there, and he was so steamed, I could tell, but I was so proud because I had my big cross on. Surgeon A walked away. Just 10 minutes later, Surgeon B, another missionary surgeon from West Africa whom I had heard had retired, uh, retired from missionary service. Plus, it was really hot where he was serving. Lots of violence, great risk. Finally, the mission pulled him and brought him home. And he came walking up, and I gave him a big hug. Good friend of mine from the past, many conferences we had attended together. And I said, Dr. B, how are you? Where are you? And he said, well, my God has taken my wife and I, and we're in Southern California. And we are working in a VA hospital in surgery and teaching. I kid you not, this is true. I'm teaching residents in a VA. And I said, this, the hospital where Dr. A is? Yeah, we're in the same hospital. I said, wow. So how have you figured how to get around all of this resistance to faith in the gospel there at that hospital? Because Dr. A said it's so hard and difficult. And he had a puzzled look on his face. I said, well, I really don't know what he's talking about. I pray with my patients every day when, when, when the door opens, and it happens frequently. Um, actually, I'm in a study, Bible study with some nurses on the ward where I work. And um, I've had free, open conversations with my colleagues. I, well, you know, Dr. A can be a little abrasive at times. And maybe that has something to do with it. And, th- and then our conversation stopped. I, I, he passed away. And I, just, I mean, he walked away and... <laughs> Fruity and slip. Yeah. <laughs> he walked away, and I just got to thinking. In 10 minutes, I heard a 180 degree different perspective on sharing your faith in the workplace. One from a doctor who was in your face about his faith, and another who was full of gentleness and respect. Evangelism in the workplace or whatever outside faith environment you enter, school, neighborhood, civic society, clubs, for me, YMCA. I'm in the world every every other day at the YMCA swimming. Lee Strobel in his Case for Christ made an excellent movie in the last couple of years. Um, And he has a quote from his book, Case for Christ. Lee says, I've seen far too many Christians who are more than willing to travel halfway around the world to volunteer for a week in an orphanage, but who cannot bring themselves to take the personal risk of sharing Jesus with the coworker who sits day after day in the cubicle right next to them. Not 9,000 feet, nine feet. On our CMDA webpage, the, our front page, we have a little graphic shown here on the left. It says the death of evangelism. And ask the question right above it. Why Christian healthcare professionals need motivation, education, and equipping for today's moral climate? Because fewer 
then one in ten Americans talk about God, faith, religion, or spirituality even once a week. And only an additional 15% do so once a month. In fact, Barna determined the average adult says they only have about one spiritual conversation a year. One spiritual conversation a year. Another study in the next slide from Barna, they, uh, they asked 1,500 evangelical Christians about what they think their Christian faith means for them at work. At the high end, 82% said it means I should act ethically. And at the low end, only 24% said my faith impacts me and that I know I should be sharing the gospel where I am. That only one in four felt it was their responsibility. And then just last month, Barna came up with an even more telling and disturbing disconnection. They, they asked four generations, elders, boomers, Gen X, and millennials, um, to agree with the statement, I am gifted at sharing my faith with other people. So this is the good news. Even elders, 56%, all the way to millennials, the youngest people said, 73% say, I am gifted at sharing my faith. But look at the second statement. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Look at that. 73% said they're gifted, but almost half, almost half said, I shouldn't be doing that. It's wrong. Lesser numbers for the older generations. And so we have our work cut out for us as the church to help our young people out there in the workforce, the millennials. And pastor, you said something in the first service that really caught me. You said, I, can you remind me, you said something about the next generation belongs... Uh, The next generation belongs to whoever wants them the most. And whoever we're talking about is, includes the church, but it, it includes the world. It, it includes those who are pushing an, an agenda in a postmodern world. So who, do we want them the most? And if we do, then we've got to correct this disconnect that they have. At CMDA, we've been very intentional in providing training for doctors to integrate faith into practice. And we have a curriculum called Grace Prescriptions that's been around for about a decade. And, and young healthcare professionals, they actually, we actually had it here um, at uh, Woodland Shores Baptist Church in the last couple of months, the training s- seminar. Um, and it, it's either by DVD or a live seminar. And the authors of that curriculum, uh, Walt Laramore and Bill Peel, also have written a book entitled Workplace Grace. And in that book, uh, Bill is from Laterno University, and he's with their faith at work department. A person's decision to trust Christ is the climactic step following a series of smaller steps God orchestrates to draw a person to himself. Evangelist and author William Fay uh, writes in Sharing Jesus Without Fear that it takes an average of 7.6 times before someone who doesn't follow Christ decides to take that step. It is not usually an overnight decision. It takes time and small steps. So my question for you this morning, brothers and sisters, are you willing to help lead the people around you who are without a relationship with the Lord Jesus through those smaller steps? So practically, what aroma, what aroma from us brings the life that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16. Well, I want you to remember the three C's. The three C's. The first C is competence or commitment to excellence. Have you, friend, 
done the hard work of developing a stellar reputation or standing in your field, in the office, in your classroom, on your job site, others are far more likely to want to hear what you have to say. It will be magnetic and they'll be drawn to it. I know many of you are in different professions in this audience, and I know some of you personally, and I know the work that you do is phenomenal, and it has set up a platform for you to have an incredible witness and testimony. Let that wonderful and pure motivation energize you each and every day. Paul said to the Colossians, and whatever you do or say, that whatever is very broad, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So do you demonstrate competence? Because if you don't, being a witness for Christ and sharing about your faith, it's, it doesn't smell so great. Second, character that is godly. Character that is godly. Character preaches and silences the skeptics around you. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that as, as we keep our consciences clear, Peter says, if our consciences are clear, then when people speak out against us, they will actually be ashamed when they see what a good life that we live because we belong to Christ Jesus. One of my favorite authors, and maybe some of yours, Chuck Swindoll writes, Few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge. Not prudish, not preachy, just crackerjack clean living, just honest goodness, bone deep, non hypocritical integrity. My daughter Kayla, who's uh, going to start nursing school in June, took a a secular philosophy class at ETSU last fall. And almost every day I got texts, Dad, you'll never believe what the professor said today. Or here's a picture from the textbook. Can you believe this? And frequently, it was really the first time she had been thrust into a highly antagonistic classroom where the professor was a outspoken atheist and hated faith and made such incredible brash absolute statements, but himself did not believe in absolute truth. And so we communicated back and forth. And one day she said, Dad, take a look at this picture from my textbook. The, the, the professor's really going hot and heavy. And the title of the top of the page was, Faith is Totally Not Rational. Those of you who have faith, it's not about rationality. Dad, how do I respond? I waited for a few minutes, prayed. And then I thought, sweetheart, can I call you? Yeah, Dad, go ahead and give me a call. I'll step out of the classroom. So I called her and I said, Kayla, think about it. When you were in Kenya, when you were at Timok Hospital, you were surrounded by people who were representing Jesus. Did you like the fruit that you saw in their lives? Well, yeah, Dad. I was really just so encouraged and challenged by the wonderful examples of my aunts and uncles in service. Okay, that fruit. Do you like the fruit that you have been seeing in the lives of those, your professor, your classmates there at ETSU? Do you like that fruit? Does it look appealing to you? Dad, it's awful. It's corrupt. It's really stinky. Okay? So I want to ask you a question, sweetheart. You go to the grocery store with mom once a week or more, and you go to the, the vegetable and fruit department, and you pick out what fruit? Stuff that's stinky and rotten? Or do you pick out the best, ripe, most delicious-looking fruit? I said, well, Dad, you know the answer to that. I said, yes. 
So is that rational or irrational when you go to the grocery store? I said, well, Dad, it's, it, it only makes sense that I would do that. Yes. So you have had a chance to test and to taste the fruit of living with faith versus now what you've observed to be living without faith. Tell me, is that irrational? Thanks, Dad. I'm going to go back in and share that with my class right now. Character that is godly, competence and commitment to excellence. And third, a genuine concern for others. J.I. Packer writes, The right to talk intimately to another person about the Lord Jesus Christ has to be earned. It has to be earned. And you earn it by convincing him that you are his or her friend and that you really care about them. If you wish to do personal evangelism... Then, and I hope you do, uh, uh, Packer says, you ought to pray for the gift of friendship. A genuine friendliness is in any case a prime mark of the man or woman who is learning to love his or her neighbor as themselves. Actions speak so much louder than words. And you will be on trial with a skeptical and cynical world every day, especially when they learn that you are a serious follower of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, pay attention and sweat the small stuff. Sweat the small Some people say don't sweat. I say sweat the small stuff. Because it's the small stuff in our interactions with people who don't know Christ and who are suspicious that's going to get to them when we do remember that. And Dr. Ken O'Neill is a good friend and a partner here in St. Joe. He was a past president of Southwestern Medical Clinic and now is a vice president uh, here at Lakeland. And I was in his office just about three years ago. And I said, so Ken, tell me something that you've learned about leadership because you've been a great leader over the last 20 years that I've known you. Tell me something new. And he said, Mike, you see that seat where you're sitting here in my office? Yes. He said, this year, I'm trying very hard to follow the mantra that I love and care for deeply, the person who's sitting right now in that chair. I'm focused on them and for their benefit. A a way that Ken O'Neill, a very serious, bright, cognitive Uh, lover of Jesus, who's an internist, is learning day by day how to show people that he is a follower of Christ. Do you smell good, gang? Don't forget that even if you are living and walking in the Spirit, fully reflecting the image of Christ, you will smell like putrid death to some. Paul said it's to those who are on the way to perishing. And we're not perfect. And sometimes our flesh gets in the way. But I want to encourage you. Our, mod, our vision at CMDA is transform healthcare professionals, transforming the world. But I'm encouraged by 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, that it's not a rearview mirror transformation. It is not something only in my past. It is something God and his Holy Spirit is doing with me today. And when non-believers see Mike Chupp becoming more patient and loving and joyful and kind and faithful... It says something to them. So being transformed healthcare professionals can transform the world. And it makes an incredible, powerful testimony. I'm going to close by sharing with you just a few lines of a poem that an old friend of Dr. Chuck Pearson's taught me a year ago. Chuck, I was on a plane bound for Cameroon, West Africa, and traveled with one of three Chucks that was at Kamakui Mission Hospital. Chuck Pearson, Chuck Payne, and I was with Charles Brewerd, uh, who's a retired anesthesiologist from New Mexico. 
Charles was the first doctor that I ever walked with on rounds as a college student at Taylor University. And uh, I was coming down with malaria. I had the pounding headache, and I had overdosed on chloroquine. And Charles and his wife, Yvonne, took good care of me and nursed me back to health. But now it's like the shoe was on the other foot. Now I, as a CMBA leader, was taking Charles back to West Africa. We're sitting in this 747 heading to West Africa. And he said, Mike, i got a poem I want to teach you. He says, I want you to memorize this poem, Dr. Brewer, whatever you say. It goes like this. Help me remember when others I see that they're reading the gospel according to me. Matthew and Barnabas, Peter and Paul. The world looks upon them as names. That's all. For verses of scripture, men merely grope. But my life goes under their microscope. Make me a text, Lord, easy to read. When folks read the gospel according to me. I shared that poem in New York about four or five months ago, and an elder came up and said, I got another verse for you. We're writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that we do and the words that we say. Men, read what we write, distorted or true. Tell me, what is the gospel according to you? Well, for this sermon series, I decided to write my own verse, a third verse. We're the fragrance of Christ, his aroma, I'm told, We should smell like him, whether timid or bold. Actions and attitudes produce a scent. It's true. When others get a whiff, is it sweet or (laughs) P-U? So gang at Berrien Sitter, I want to finish up by my prayer from Scripture, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. My prayer for you. God's got a calling for each one of you. And I am sure there are days when Pastor Dan in his office wishes he had even 10% of the opportunities that some of you have to rub shoulders with non-believers every day. You are out there with those who are going to hell, who don't know our Lord Jesus. So here's my prayer. I keep on praying for you, Berrien Center Bible Church asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Pam and I love this body of believers. They have been so gracious and kind. They care deeply about the Great Commission. And I pray that you would help each one of us, Father, that this sacred and secular divide, that you would make it come smashing down in each one of our lives. Lord, give us boldness. We do not want to be like that third servant who took his talent and buried it in the earth and went about the other business of his daily life. Father, you want return on investment for what you've given us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would move in the hearts of young people, children, and those who are facing retirement, those who are retired, that we would not give up, Father, on thinking about, praying about, uh, sweating over how we can be a better witness and representative of Christ. Teach us to realize, Father, the brevity of life so that we can grow in wisdom. 
O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. And may the Lord our God, may you, God, make our efforts successful. Yes, Lord, make our efforts successful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for giving a strong voice to something that we earnestly believe and are trying to practice here in our church family. Um, we appreciate that a lot. Uh, as you go out, and I have three things really quick. Um, do you see that mission map on the wall and think about all the different things that we support? It's out on the wall in the foyer. Um, Mike is just one of those, and it's really neat to see the long-term impact of how um, sending you out has impacted Kenya and probably thousands and thousands of lives um, through you directly and now in a multiplied way in your new position. So we'll be praying for you uh, as we go forward and continue to support you as much as we can. Um, I also wanted to let you know, if you're interested in hearing a little more from Dr. Mike, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, back here at the church, uh, he's leading a conversation on bioethics. And it's kind of designed for people who are in the field and might have a little expertise in the area. But if it's something that's of curiosity to you or of interest to know how uh, a Christian would approach the field of bioethics and uh, what we believe about some of the things that are happening in our world today, uh, I think you'd find tonight enriching. Uh, if you're interested in that, I would encourage you to talk to Ron Baker before you leave. Ron, can you wave your hand there? Uh, just check in with him so that he knows how many uh, are planning to come tonight. And then the third thing and the last thing for this morning has to do with next week. Uh, next week is our Exodus journey, and it's a different week than every other Sunday of the year uh, because you have to sign up for it. We'll have three showings of the Exodus journey, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11.00. And we'd love for you to sign up for one of those uh, because there's sort of a limited, uh, because the way we do it, we'll actually migrate through the building and we'll get to reenact the Exodus journey um, and the redemption of God's people. It's all part of our Easter week and what's, what's coming at Easter. Uh, so you can sign up at our Facebook page. You can also sign up um, in the back there in the foyer. Uh, but I would encourage you to do that and to just kind of pay attention, zero in on that because you have to take a little active role there uh, before you come next week. And also note, next week when you come, only the front door, door one, and then door 10 back over here by the office will be the only entrances. And so it might be that you need to think through how to drop people off here at the front. They enter this room, and then you might have to have someone go and park a little further away. That has to do with because of the, the, how we're, well, the whole church will be decorated. The whole church will become the book of Exodus. And so we, we need to kind of change the logistics a little bit next week. Um, but until then, God bless you. And particularly those of you who are on mission at work or at school, um, smell good this week. All right? We'll see you then.